Hello, everyone, and welcome to Living in This Queer Body, a podcast about barriers to embodiment and how our collective body stories can bring us back to ourselves. I'm Asher Pangeris, and as always, I'm grateful to have you joining me today. I have a lovely guest who I will introduce in a moment. I have one announcement. And the announcement is as follows. I will be hosting a workshop on Tuesday, January 5th, 2021. Um, And it is entitled Queering the New Year. It's from 5 to 7 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. And it's a workshop for exploring eating, rest, nourishment in a decidedly anti-diet, anti-resolution, allowing for messiness space. So if you are interested in signing up for that, it's a sliding scale, 11 to $22. I really hope to gather a robust and open uh, group of folks. And you can sign up um, at livinginthisqueerbody.com. There will be a link to sign up or you can go to my Instagram, livinginthisqueerbody and sign up in the link in the bio. Um, DM me if you have any questions about it. It will hopefully be a nice support and hopefully an antidote to some of the pervasive wellness industrial complex uh, resolution making uh, nonsense that really doesn't support the complicated spiralic nature of what it means to move towards more ease and nourishment in our lives. So I hope you can join me. And today I have a much anticipated um, episode. And today I am featuring Margaret Jacobson, who uses they, them pronouns. They are a writer, photographer, and copy editor in Portland, Oregon. As a volunteer coordinator for the nonprofit Free Geek, Margaret's interest in tech accessibility combines with their care for underdeserved communities. At Portland PR Agency Early, they work as a writer and copy editor helping sustainability, health and wellness and lifestyle businesses strategize and advocate for their place in a shifting world. Their writing on blackness was once praised on social media by Beyonce and in real life when Beyonce sent them flowers. Margaret's writing on life while black, queer, non-monogamous and apparent have appeared at Romper and Medium. This is a really lovely person, a very generous person, someone who has been following the podcast for a while, submitted a dispatch as the pandemic was just getting started. You can look back and listen to their dispatch. In this episode, we talk about their life journey as an adoptee, what it's been like living with and navigating mental illness, life as a pregnant person how it's been feeling to examine their proximity to whiteness and a whole lot more. One of the things we end on is the way that MJ is experiencing the beginning stages of being found by their um, biological family. And What's so interesting about it is you can listen to this conversation and then you can follow them on Instagram at Marge, M-A-R-G-E, Jacobson, J-A-C-O-B-S-E-N, Marge Jacobson. Um, And you can really see how the story plays out, which is just lovely um, and really interesting. And I encourage you to do that but maybe listen to this episode first. So thank you for joining me. I hope you have a easeful and restful holiday season and I will see you in the new year. 
MJ, thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate it. I'm looking forward to talking with you. You're welcome. Thank you for inviting me. It is an honor indeed. Oh, well, (laughs) I guess we can get started with the question that I ask most of my interviewees, which is if you could reflect on your earliest memories of being in a body or messages you received about what it meant to have a body. Mm, So I actually have a really clear memory of when I became like self-aware that Mm. I was existing in a body and I was four Mm. and I was running through my house and it just like happened. And I was like, Oh my God. I don't think I said, Oh my God. At the time, I (laughs) I don't know what my brain said because I was four, but it was like everything changed. And it wasn't even like, I didn't have other memories. I had small memories um, before that, but the coming into my body was like, that was like almost magical. So this feeling came in kind of a, like a sudden, it just, it just, Mm -hmm. it was like, oh my God, I'm a person. I'm Mm. alive. Like, Mm. cool. It just, It felt good. Yeah. It's so, yeah, it was so weird. And I think about it all the time, you know, because I've been asked like, Oh, when was the first time? And I'm like, I remember like looking down at like my arms and my legs and just like feeling just Mm. like my whole body and like the movement that was wild. And I think I was just like, yes, (laughs) I'm a person. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. Something different, differentiated from the, the kind of environment and the people around you too. Yeah. Like that you're separate in a way. Yep. Do you, I, you know, knowing that you have kids and um, do you feel like you have witnessed or heard from them anything about their relationship to those moments, if any? Have you been like privy to that or, (laughs) you know, I do remember my daughter when she was like three and she would just kind of like stand on the counter and look at herself and like talk about how she loved her arms and her legs and her body. She was like, I love my butt, (laughs) (laughs) my face, just like loving on herself. And she's always been kind of like that. And my son, he, is so different about how he sees his body Mm -hmm. and you know he loves sports and so he like wants to run with me and he wants to move his body in this way and he's like my body is fast and I have this long body and he like likes to sit where he like folds his body essentially and like wraps his arms like around his legs Mm. and he's like he's like I'm so skinny he's like it's because I don't like to eat a lot of food and my daughter is like more of this like solid being who just like wants to eat and they make observations about each other's bodies Mm. and how they're different and in a way that's very like cute um but just like oh we're different but we're like similar and that is an interesting thing to listen to because growing up I don't I don't think I was really encouraged to like, look at my body and, and that's something I kind of feel sad about is I don't think I ever just like stood in the mirror and looked at my body. Mm. And I don't remember what my body looks like before I had kids. And it just was never anything that crossed my mind as someone who grew up religious. And then I looked at myself all the time when I was pregnant because I'm like, what is this experience? Mm -hmm. (laughs) This is wild. And so I watch my kids like look at themselves and feel comfortable doing that because they are moving into adolescence feeling comfortable already. And when I moved into adolescence, there was no like big celebration of my body. There was no me like really observing it. It was like, "Ah, I got to be modest. I have to like cover my body and my kids are like, we just wear our underwear or like our bra. Mm -hmm. Like they're just, (laughs) uh, so watching them be self-aware and their movement with their bodies is really, really cool. 
Yeah. I guess I can, I can really relate to that. The way in which watching, I mean, I also have a, you know, moving into adolescence um, child and watching that experience and, and how it kind of triggers memories um, or actually like an absence of memories for me Uh of, of that, like, you know, I was, I was a hundred miles away from my body when I was moving into adolescence. Um, And so, and also kind of grew up religious. I mean, I'd be curious to hear a little bit about maybe about that, that kind of influence in your life, like how growing up in a religious environment, it sounds like there was definitely a focus on kind of covering and modesty Mm -hmm. and disconnection from like your, maybe your individuality or your, your own sense Mm -hmm. of self. Yeah. I mean, I was socialized as a girl. Mm -hmm. So growing up in a Christian environment, it was always like, you need to be covered. So you don't make men stumble, Mm. which Mm -hmm. is like such a really problematic thing to tell a child. So my dad was a pastor. Oh, mm-hmm. and my parents also led the like pre-married class. So people who were getting married would like take this class. And I think it was like six weeks long. And I just like, you know, I was such a like skinny kid that I do feel like in the beginning, like it didn't really phase me. I didn't really understand what I needed to be covering my body. (laughs) Like, Mm. I'm like, oh, I have the same body as say like a boy. Like, I don't know. It's so different. And then when I got older and I must've been like 12 and I'm like begging to have like a bra and my mom was like, you don't need a bra yet. I'm like, please. And then I starting right to like get boobs. And then I'm like, oh my God, because I'm noticing the responses from like grown men, right? Which is like its own problematic thing. And my parents are starting to like make comments about like, you shouldn't wear this kind of shirt and you should wear this. And my body became this thing that I almost was like ashamed of. Mm -hmm. And I felt so much discomfort. Like I swam, like I was a swimmer. And even that, just like going out in a bathing suit, like caused me to have this anxiety and everyone else seemed like so comfortable. Mm. And I just like, didn't have that. And it took me a while to unlearn all of that stuff to be like comfortable in my body Mm -hmm. and to not be confused by it. And some of that too, right. Is that like, I didn't understand what it meant to like be a girl or be like a woman. It wasn't really something that resonated with me, but I didn't know that at the time. Mm -hmm. And so just the constant, like your skirt needs to be longer and your shirt shouldn't be so tight. Um, Over things, it's like my boobs just naturally got really big. And there's just like, what am I going to do about it as a kid? Like, I don't know. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I don't know how I'm supposed to control that. And kind of making my body invisible is kind of what I feel like I was raised to do. And so there was a huge disconnection from my body. It Mm -hmm. wasn't the way I felt when I was four, it was like, what? I didn't even think about it really. I didn't want to think about it. Yeah. So yeah, that's kind of like how, I mean, one of the like few fucked up things I got (laughs) from growing up the way that I did, but Mm -hmm. it does not mirror like my children's experiences with their bodies at all. Right. I can understand why. (laughs) So yeah. (laughs) Um, and I can relate to that, um, very much so. Yeah. So do you remember, or do you have a sense of like some of the, the kind of forces or people or inspirations that helped to kind of draw you out of that more 
yeah dissociative or you know the, uh-huh. the, the disconnection from your body yeah I think it started with being pregnant with my daughter mm-hmm. and really having to like pay attention to how I was like feeling in ways that I was like, oh my God, I didn't even know that you could listen to your body in this way. Mm. And so I think that it started on this like uh, spiritual place and then emotional of like coming back into my body. Mm. And then, you know, so I had my daughter, I got pregnant and lost that baby, but then got pregnant with my son right away. And so then I also became really uncomfortable with my body in that sense of like, I feel like someone was trying to comfort me about losing my baby. And they were like, it probably like, there was probably something wrong with the baby and like (laughs) with your body or something. And I was like, Oh, like so horrified. Mm. And it made it really hard for me to actually connect with my son, which is always funny to think back on because you know, we're very connected and I can't Mm. believe there was like a time that we weren't, but I just kind of did not want to be connected to another baby that might potentially like leave my body Mm. and Mm -hmm. where I'm like supposed to keep that baby safe. And that kind of like stalled me in a lot of ways. And then I realized that I had suppressed a lot of stuff around like sexual assault Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. that had confused me. And I think it was one of those instances there was, it was multiple times, but I think it was one of those things that I just like pushed away somewhere in my body. And now having done therapy for so long, I understand uh, just being like in survival mode. Yeah. But at the time, I didn't realize that that stuff is like going to come back, like the trauma. Mm -hmm. And when we moved to Oregon, I was 24, I believe. And it was like I had to be really uncomfortable because it was a new place. Like I'd grown up in California and never lived anywhere else. Mm -hmm. And it felt uncomfortable. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And I was like, we just have to do the damn thing. Like we just, (laughs) I have to like dive in. And so I was like trying to be social with people and being around other people who are older than me, who felt so comfortable in their bodies Mm. was fascinating. And I was like, wow, I wonder if I could ever be that person. I wonder if you're like born that way or if you can learn. And so when I turned 25, I just made this choice. I said to myself, I was just like, you are going to live well and you are going to work very hard at that. And I don't know what that means, but you're going to do it. And so that meant like experimenting with like my clothing and doing like a lot of research around what is queerness? Does it apply to me as someone who's married to a man looking at my body really and trying to take things back? Like, Oh, I'm choosing to like have sex. I'm choosing to do this with my body. And over time it was like, okay, I'm like having a respect for my body. And I always felt I didn't really enjoy those like ads that are like, love yourself, love your body. And because I feel like it was glossing over all of the reasons why we struggle with caring about our bodies and it's not reduced to like, Oh, women just like hate on themselves. It's like that. There are so many reasons why like (laughs) our bodies, like we, we have such a disconnection from them when we've been like shamed and they've been like abused Mm -hmm. Um, and told like, it's not good enough. And so of course that's internalized and we can't just like love our bodies. And it's been like a journey for me because my body has like changed as I've gotten older. I'm 33 now. And (laughs) the last year was like the first time I had like significant weight gain. It was like 20 pounds, um, on medication. And that really fucked with my head. 
where I was like, God damn it. I have to like adjust to a new body when I was just making a home in like the old body. And it's weird to think about because it's like, it's still your body, Mm -hmm. but the shape is different and it feels different. Like now I take a million vitamins. (laughs) So my knees aren't hurting and my back gets thrown out. There's so many new things, but now that I'm older, I can listen to my body better and I can be like, oh, okay, I should probably sit this way. I should probably wear these shoes today. Maybe I should do some stretching, probably need more vegetables this week. And that is, I think the kind, one of the kindest gifts that I've given myself is the aligning of just like my mind and my spirit and my body. Mm. to trust each other for so long. There was just no coming together. Mm. There was no being on like the same team. There was a lot of distrust. Right. And so now these parts of me are very trusting of each other because it's been this like slow movement of like, okay, we're all like on the same team. We all have the same goal. It's like when you are in a relationship and you're having this argument and you realize that you're really just arguing for the same thing. You have the same common goal. You just take very (laughs) different directions Mm -hmm. (laughs) to get there. And so reminding myself like, look, this whole being that is you has the same goal. And that is too. And I just return back to like the choice I made at 25. And it's like to live well. Mm-hmm. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, I mean, I think, yeah, you articulated it so nicely. This idea that you can in the, in the face of, you know, kind of these emerging re-remembering kind of traumatic memories and also just having a history of suppressing your body your body's needs mm-hmm. um the idea that that actually can be potentially over time and it's not easy and it's not you're right it's not as easy as love your body positive body positivity i mean those things are great those messages have to exist but they they can i think if if I really appreciate you talking about like some of the process that you had to go yeah. through the way that you had to talk to yourself, because mm-hmm. if we don't acknowledge that it's, it's, it is, it becomes like a very bypassing sort of situation. Yeah. And, and maybe you could talk a little bit about like what has felt possible mm. in this place of feeling like you're more on the same team, if that, yeah, because it sounds like for a while you were really disjointed. It was kind of a disjointed, uh-huh. um, bodily, emotional, spiritual yeah. experience. Yeah. I mean, I feel like now I can show up primarily in relationship to myself right? With like kindness. And then I can show up outside of myself in whatever other spaces that I get to share with people. And I know that I'm showing up with compassion and softness Mm. because I've given that to myself and it's helped me see other people and their beings Mm. in a very different way. And so I I feel so confident in how I am in relation to people now where before it was like, I don't understand. I'm, I'm feeling discomfort. I'm so confused. (laughs) And that just like, Oh, you just don't understand people kind of thing that I feel like we sometimes settle into of like giving up being like, well, we just like weren't meant to be some sort of a match friend wise or whatever else outside of friends. And yeah, I just want to in this work that I was doing for myself, I wanted to also honor other people and the work that they've done and how they show up. And 
I've realized like how trusting, like how much trust it takes for us to share space and for us to come as ourselves. And what a big deal when we can show up so fully as ourselves, where we don't have to leave parts of ourselves like at the door. Yeah. And I feel like I no longer do that. I like refuse to not enter without like all of the parts that I am. And that is the space I try to create for other people. Hmm. You know, of course it's like a safety thing. If they're not ready, they're not ready, but it's like, this space is yours. You've chosen to share it with me. And so I'm making the room so that every single part of you gets to like sit here, stand here, feel at peace and Hmm. feel seen. And so that's what I feel like is possible is like, for me, everything mm. comes back to community and relationships. Like that is kind of like my main focus in life. Mm-hmm. And what I feel like is one of my, it might be my main purpose, perhaps. Mm. That might be mm-hmm. it. So that feels really, really good to be able to feel like, all right, I'm here. I feel good about it. I'm going to see you. And if I don't see you, please let me know that I'm not, Mm. you know, holding up the right lens that you might actually need. Yeah. I love that idea. I mean, that's, it's so much of, it's not an idea. It's a way of being, but you know, it's so much of what I strive to kind of embody in my own, you know, psychotherapy practice and introduce people to the idea of what it what it can feel like to show up with more parts of self and i guess you know for you based on some of what you are kind of have been sharing via social media it seems like the past i don't know many months have really challenged this kind of idea of of sort of showing up for yourself mm. in with all of your parts right like mm-hmm. the, the, that that kind of aspirational way of being has been challenged because of for a number of reasons and and maybe i don't know what comes to mind for you most immediately but that's i'm curious to hear more about that Yeah. Huh. In the last like almost year and a half, I've been on medication that has stabilized my moods Mm. as I'm bipolar. And I found that out. And in some ways I feel like I found out too late. Um, And so I have like some regret around that, but while also like, what was, how would I have known? (laughs) Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And you know, I read this book called Marbles and I, she's so cool. It's, she's this woman from Seattle and she wrote a graphic novel about finding out that she was bipolar. Hmm. And I was like, oh my God, this is like mirroring my experience. So I found a psychiatrist and I was like, look, I think that I'm bipolar. I've been diagnosed as like depressed mm-hmm. and that's what I've been living with for like five years but I think it's more than that because it's like I'm not changing and that was like a big step in advocating for myself for my yeah. health my mental health yes. and I've lost a really important relationship which was like a lot of my behavior was really like toxic and abusive mm. and that would be when I was in like a manic like state. Right. And I didn't understand that. So it was like, there were these good moments and then there was like, you know, the really bad ones, but I like, couldn't understand or see it. And, you know, my ex-husband had made comments about it and my husband, my newer, well, whatever the husband that I'm married to now, not a new husband. (laughs) (laughs) I just, I get new husbands all the time. Yeah. But that journey has been really great because I feel like it saved my life. And I found out that being on an antidepressant alone while you're bipolar can actually be really harmful. Yes. And so I had so much suicide ideation and I was like, I don't know why I'm not better. 
Mm. So for the last year and a half, I've been on a mood stabilizer and it's changed my life. And in that, I have really examined my relationships with people, especially my relationship in proximity to whiteness. Mm-hmm. And that has been one of the most intense <laughs> experiences because I've been talking to my therapist about this for a long time. Where I'm like, I really think I should have less white friends. I really mm-hmm. feel like I need to stop opening my arms to like any white person. <laughs> and yeah. she was like, well, good. You, su- you should set some boundaries. I'm like, I will. And then I just don't because it's scary. So then I'm like, I'll have no friends, which is dumb. And, but it was like my fear. And when George Floyd was murdered, and then we found out about Breonna Taylor, and I was watching what was playing out on social media with people, like friends of mine. I was just kind of like horrified by how people can be performative. And of course I like turned that back on myself and I was like, let's look at all the ways you're also performative, but I'm also Mm -hmm. not white. So it was Mm -hmm, like mm -hmm. really, really pausing and looking at it. And I was so uncomfortable because I was very aware of things I had skipped over and I had claimed like ignorance around. And so in these last months after that, I removed myself from a lot of groups of friends Mm. and let people know, like very close ones have been like, hey, this is where I am. If you're going to be in my life, you need to be doing anti-racist work. If you can't do that, I really don't want to hang out with you because my time is so precious and my being, right? It's not just my life mattering. Like me as a whole being matters. And my life and the lives of other black people and who we are is not some political agenda to (laughs) support, you know? And so Mm. that's an experience that I have been having. And what's weird is recently I posted this video on Instagram. I think it was three weeks ago. And I had said, my arms are especially open now for like people of color I have let go of a lot of friendships. So I have this space and then whatever, three days later, you know, I wake up to an email from like my biological aunt, which is, wow. was so bizarre because I had just been messaging someone who was like, I'm your third cousin or second and told me which side of the family I was on. And I was like, okay, this is like a start. And I've been trying to find my family for a while I guess Mm -hmm. since I was like 20 and I was adopted when I was a baby Mm -hmm. and it was a perfectly good life you know like it's not like I feel like I missed out on anything but waking up to this email was weird because you like imagine stuff right you're like oh would I do this if my family found me and what if I find them, like, what would we do? Like, what would our conversations be? And you, you make up this, like, whole dream. But I don't think I ever imagined to wake up to an email with someone being like, hi, I'm your biological aunt. You know, this is your sister's name, your brother's name, your mom's name. We've been looking for you. Like, mm. it's just not anything that <laughs> mm. I had ever thought would happen. And I was kind of in shock and I called my biological aunt and we talked for a while and there was like crying and I'm just like overwhelmed with knowing that I've been like looked for this whole time because I have abandonment stuff that stems from being adopted and I didn't know that those are things that I was holding until you know I talked it through in therapy and therapist was like, this is really common. Like that's your first Mm -hmm. traumatic experience. Right. Mm -hmm. And you're a baby. You don't know. (laughs) You're not going to remember it. So it was really interesting to meet my mom over the phone 
Donna, my biological mom, and it was her birthday. Mm. So that in itself was like the most crazy experience was like, wow. hey, I'm your kid. Happy <laughs> you've birthday. Been looking for. Yeah. And I wow. was on this like high, right? And I'm like, yes. And then I'm finding out how big this family is. And I'm like, oh, it's <laughs> a lot of people. Wow. A lot of people that know who I am and I don't know them. Hmm. And so in the last few weeks, I've started to become extremely anxious about it. And it set in at one point, you know, because they were just referring to me as when they use my pronouns as she, her, and I was so wrapped up in everything that I, I didn't even think about it at the time. And then I was like, oh my God, do I have to like come out to like 50 people at a park <laughs> in LA? I don't, but I also don't really consider it coming out because they don't know me. And so how I'm showing up is just like as my gay self, right? And right. I asked my younger sister, my biological sister, I asked her what would be the best way to communicate before I'm like in a space with these people, like how I identify. And she's like an angel of a human. And she was like, you're an amazing writer. What if you just wrote it out and I could mm. like share it with people. And I was like, wow, thank you for this support. And, you know, not like, a, Oh, don't tell anyone yet. Like let's pretend that you are straight or something. And that was really affirming for me because I know that some of the family is religious, but mm -hmm. my mom is, is really religious and has been so loving and kind. I don't, Riley and Bex and my kids are the only biological family that I've known. And so for so long, I was like, all right, I'm the one starting a family name and like a legacy, whatever that might mean. And to me, family is, you choose people. I was chosen as a kid, right? Yeah. Like when I was adopted. and this whole time, my whole upbringing was, oh my God, I've been chosen. When I found out I was adopted at seven years old, I was so psyched. I was like, yes, you really wanted me because yeah. you adopted me. Yeah. And so in my mind and how I go about like bringing people into my community is like, I'm choosing you. You're my family. I don't really know how I feel about being loyal to someone because they're your blood. Mm -hmm. uh, you don't like... You don't get along with everyone in your family. And most people that I've chosen, I get along with. So I think because I've believed in chosen family, I also feel like I'm going into this very kind of like, okay, I might like them and I might not. I might yeah. like this one and not that. And so that is making me feel better. Mm -hmm. I don't really like feeling like I have to be in someone's life because of some whatever random reason like they saved my life once or <laughs> right. they were nice to me one day right. I just don't believe in that I believe in curating <laughs> curating and cultivating a space that I actually want to be in mm -hmm. and relationships that I actually want to be in and so I'm trying to carry that with me but this whole experience has definitely caused me to like enter a episode of like mania and I had started to feel unstable and I was like, I don't feeling good about anything. Something is wrong. Mm. And now that I've, you know, been so aware of my body, I'm able to like feel all of that. I'm like able to feel it like in my bones where I'm like, okay, got to get stabilized. You got to like plant your feet on the ground. Mm -hmm. Where before I was just like, what is happening? I'm on the ground again. I don't know how I got here. Now I'm like, okay. And I have to be reminded that by other people, they're like, this is a big deal. You're having a very big experience and it is not a common experience. Right. <laughs> it's like, and that has been really helpful because I'm like, do I, am I doing it wrong? But there's not like a real wrong way. <laughs> Oh my gosh. To respond to like your family finding you. And yeah. so I'm not only I'm finding you, right. Not only finding you, but you know, 
like finding out that they've been looking for you. I mean, just this whole idea of the flooding in of the reality that you kind of were held in mind um, Mm -hmm. by people you didn't even know yeah, and you didn't know how they felt. And so, um, yeah, it's so, it's so much. (laughs) I mean, I'm in like a little bit of therapist mode right now where I'm kind of like, Whoa, Oh my God. Like from an attachment perspective, it's so (laughs) much, it's just so much. I can't imagine doing it in any kind of relaxed or, you know, easy way. But it's really, I really appreciate you saying that the way that you have kind of been trying to regulate yourself is by, you know, noticing things in your body and kind of trying to respond to the immediacy of its needs. Um, Mm -hmm. Because that's kind of all you can do. It sounds like quite an overwhelming experience. (laughs) Yeah, I think that I have moments of definitely forgetting and then sitting up and being like, oh my God, my family found me. (laughs) Right, right. And I'm just like staring off like, what does that even mean? That day that it happened, I had um, like a doctor's appointment and I was going to the chiropractor too. And so they're like, how's your week going? It's only Tuesday when like this is all happening. And I'm like, Oh, it's fine. Nothing exciting. And then I like sat up at the chiropractor's office and I was like, no, do you want to hear something so weird? (laughs) And then I'm just like recounting to strangers all day. What had just happened to me. Yeah. And I was like, it's weird, right? Like, like, (laughs) they're like, holy shit. Yeah. (laughs) That is really fucking weird. I'm like, okay. So not crazy. (laughs) And it's also been like kind of a struggle to feel some excitement. Um, Mm. But I think once I'm there, then it might be different, Mm -hmm. but I'm I'm just being as gentle as possible with myself and like resting a lot Mm -hmm. (laughs) because it feels like this whole, my whole life has changed. (laughs) And a change that I didn't know was going to happen. And so I feel like I'm catching up and I feel like my identity has been shifted Mm. and it makes me feel like I know who I am and I don't know who I am. I don't know who I am in relation to this family that knows me, but they don't know me. And I (laughs) stand in the mirror and I'm like, who are you? (laughs) You were someone who didn't have a big family and now you have the biggest family, which is what I wanted as a kid so badly. Like I Mm. was, I was like, I'm gonna have five kids, you know, I'm going to do it. And then I was like, two is great. Having kids at 21 and 22, there was no need for me (laughs) to have like, Mm -hmm. I would have had eight kids. I feel like if I kept going the way I was going. So (laughs) this is so crazy to me because now I don't have to have more kids. I can just hang out with cousins on cousins on cousins mm-hmm. and you know I'm not bringing my kids yet I kind of want to do it by myself and my husband kept being like hey I can come with you do you want me to come with you and I was like no 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 I got it and then I was like I think you have to come I think I need you as like a grounding type person yeah. the other wild thing is my childhood best friend who's also adopted and our adoptive mothers are best friends she just found her biological mom and her biological mom is like 20 minutes away from mine. So we're wow. meeting in LA. Isn't that like <laughs> we're meeting in LA and we just, you know, got like a little Airbnb together and we're just going to do the thing together. And I was like, how is this all happening? Hmm cool universe. Thank you. And I feel like if this had happened to me a year ago, I don't know if I would have been able to handle it. And I feel Mm -hmm. really grateful that all of this hard work is making it possible for me to, even while feeling unstable, to know how best to like stabilize myself and move in a gentle way. And I already let like my aunt and sister know, I was like, you know, I get really overwhelmed 
in meeting lots of new people and being in new spaces and being asked a lot of questions. And so I'm definitely going to take breaks and listen to whatever my body is saying. And they were like, yes, this is very overwhelming. We're like really excited. My aunt like is calling me all the time. And my psychiatrist was like, you can ask her to stop doing that. Like, she was like, how good do you feel about setting boundaries? And I was like, I actually feel so comfortable setting boundaries now. And that's why I think that the timing has worked out well, because I'm able to like, be like too close right now. I would love us to get there. But for now, you know, I'm a stranger. You're a stranger. Let's just move into this. Like slowly, we don't have to like rush in, which is, it's a personality thing for me is like, I dive in really hard, really fast. And then I'm like, what have I done? I cannot yeah. swim out here. <laughs> I have to backtrack. And so with this, I'm like, okay, Margaret, just a step at a time. Like they're your family. So you probably have forever with them. Oof. Yeah. Yeah. Right. And I think what you're describing is, is kind of you know, I appreciate you articulating it in the way you have, because I think it is kind of a a model, if you will. I don't want to say, I guess a model. Yeah. For, you know, when, when folks say, talk about stability, emotional stability, or, you know, being in a good place, quote unquote, whatever that means. I think that there's an idea that everything feels really easy and, and, feels easy in our bodies. And I think what you're describing is like a very complicated, emotional, physical, spiritual experience that you are navigating with choice. You're taking two steps forward, one step back. You're doing a lot of like, as you said, kind of curating your experience based on what is happening with your body. And that feels to me like a kind of a really accurate, actually, and realistic model of what feeling stable or feeling kind of sovereign within oneself actually feels like in this complicated world and in complicated relational dynamics. Um, Yeah. So, yeah, I think that that's, that's what you've got. I mean, you have those, those like amazing skills that you've developed over time and it doesn't mean that this is easy, but it just means that you kind of have a capacity for reflecting on, on, on how you're approaching things and the flexibility to kind of shift and change as you need to, which is, is really, um, probably will be very helpful, but I imagine it's, it is a lot. And, you know, I, the question I actually usually end the interviews with is it kind of takes on an interesting meaning right now, because, you know, usually ask folks to reflect and, and think about what they might say to a younger Mm. part of themselves, Mm. um, knowing now what you, you know, knowing what you know now. Um, and, in an interesting way, you know, meeting or encountering your biological family, there is a way that it's, it's kind of, I imagine kind of you're, you are confronting like a younger part of yourself. Like, um, and so, you know, maybe you can take that wherever you'd like, but is there something you want to say to that kind of younger, younger part of you? The thing that kept coming to mind that I was repeating was just like that I was wanted Mm. and I felt like there was Mm. a lot of healing that was done because while I had my adoptive parents wanting me, there was something about coming from somebody and not knowing if they had wanted me and I feel so just like loved in a new way. And I think it has helped me with like saying to my younger self, like, look, like you've been wanted. Like Hmm. even though they didn't really know you and you were like, you left as a baby, they still wanted to know you without like knowing really like your personality and what you were like. And that for younger Margaret 
is like really amazing and extremely healing. So yeah, just telling my younger self that I was really, really wanted and like looked for. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that. Um, Yeah. I really appreciate it. It's, it's a, it's quite a story and, you know, we would love, I think probably the listeners would love to hear an update at some point, but I, (laughs) um, (laughs) as this journey continues, but I, I appreciate you sharing it. And as, as you're kind of moving through this, as much as you, you know, choose and want to share, where can people sort of connect with you? Uh, Instagram is really good. That is where I share most of my stuff at this moment. So yeah. yeah. And what's your Instagram works? Oh, (laughs) my handle is Marge Jacobson. So M-A-R-G-E. And then it's S-E-N at the end of Jacobson. It's very common for people to write S-O-N and then Mm -hmm. be like, I don't know where you are. You lied about your name. (laughs) 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 Do you know yourself? No, I'm still learning. Still learning. (laughs) Totally. Okay. Well, thank you so much. It's yeah. To be continued, hopefully. T B D. Yeah. 